Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. Today we will be looking at Ephesians 5.16 as we continue this topic of the controlled life with the idea that we must live a controlled life as a believer. In verse 15, we saw that living a controlled life is commanded and looked at all the different aspects of that. And now in verse 16, we see that living a controlled life involves understanding and time management. Here's what Paul says in verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. We can note this at the beginning that this careful walk of wisdom will be manifest in our understanding of theology and time. So as we dive deeper into this idea of understanding and time management, which is involved in living a controlled life, we see, first of all, that we ought to treat our time like currency. Uh, Literally, this phrase, making the best use of the time, could be translated as buying up the time. And uh, it's actually just one word in the Greek, making the best use of the time, seven words in English, uh, or buying up the time down to four words, but it's literally just one word in the Greek. And it carries a figurative translation, which is to rescue something from loss. And when we think about time that way, you know, we can really get on board. I, I like that definition to rescue time from being lost. We may be used to hearing it in other translations rendered this way, redeeming the time. But still, the best translation is to rescue it from loss or to buy it up. And at risk of stating the obvious here, we're only given so much time on this earth. And I think we all know that, but it's good for us to stop and take stock of that every once in a while. So we need to make the best use of the time that we have. We have to rescue the time that God has given us from loss. We have to buy it back or make the most use of it. When we think of the time here with that definite article, it really can be thought of a few different ways. In other words, what is meant by time or the time? Well, the first way we could think of time is the totality of our life on earth, our entire lifespan. And all of the ways that we're going to talk about time we can definitely apply this. So when we talk about our entire lifespan from birth to death, we can say that we really ought to make the most use of every moment that we possibly can. That's true. There is a second way to think of time, and that's not just the totality of our life from birth to death, but time can be this present moment, making the best use of buying up making the most use of this present moment that we are in. And that certainly is true as well. And in fact, if the one is true, then the other will be true. And I think we can see that. So you can think of it in a broad sense, or you can think of it in a narrow sense, but either way, the meaning remains the same. And so we see then that we have an obligation to make the most of each moment that has been afforded to us, whether it's right now or whether you're thinking about all that you have to do tomorrow or all that's on the docket for next month or whatever it is, 
We need to make the most use of the time that God has given to us. Time is truly a limited, non-renewable commodity. You only have so much, you don't get to create more, and you must spend it wisely. And that's something that may be not true of other things. And of course, there's a lot of talk about things that get used up in precious resources and so forth. In fact, uh, the truth of the matter is the, the amount of water in this world never actually diminishes. It just gets dirty, has to be cleaned, and so forth. And so we don't actually use it up. We just clean it and recycle it. Uh, but when it comes to time, we simply can't make more of it. And uh, regardless of what people are trying to do in scientific advancement and, and technological advancement and so forth, uh, the search for the proverbial fountain of youth has been ongoing now for really probably ever since uh, Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden. And back in those days, Genesis chapter 5, uh, you can read about people whose lifespans lasted hundreds of years, centuries. And the fact of the matter is, is they still died. And in the scope of eternity, even 969 years is not a lot of time in the span and scope and perspective of eternity, or in Mo, uh, Noah's case, 965. And so I hope you recognize that. And so we have all this talk today of people saying, don't, you know, don't worry. We're right on the, the, the cutting edge we're just about to have a major breakthrough and we're going to figure out how to make it so people stop aging and live longer. That's not the solution. The reason that we age, the reason that we die, according to scripture, and scripture has given us a very plausible argumentation for these things because God who authors the scripture is the one who has existed outside of time. So he can give us an accurate record of all these things, how they came to be. He says that death is in this world and aging and all of those things because of sin. So until people address their sin, they're never going to find this proverbial fountain of youth. And even if they do address their sin, uh, that doesn't mean that they're going to be granted the ability to create technology to stop the aging process. Quick little sidebar. Hebrews 9.27 says that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. Nowhere in there is there an exception made for a technological advancement that says we get to somehow circumvent the first death. Everybody leaves this world through the door of death, and that is exactly what death is. It is a door. It is not a cessation of being, but it is us moving from this world into the next, and we don't cease being. We actually are very much alive after we take our last breath here, and we will be, for those who are in Christ, we will be in his presence forevermore. For those who are apart from Christ, they will be experiencing torment from the moment they die apart from Christ until they stand at the great white throne judgment. That's what Hebrews references there. Appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment, that judgment's found in Revelation 20. And then once their name is not found written in the Lamb's book of life, those people are taken from the presence of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, who is just and right in all of his ways. And that's why we fear him and tremble before him, right? Uh, the, no one will be able to argue that their name should have been written in there. They will know for sure that they rejected. But the saying is true in Philippians that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess those on heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They will stand before him and bow the knee 
and then they will be told that their name is not in the Lamb's Book of Life. And then with a, a body that is immortal, they will be given a new body. Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. He is the guarantee that all humans from Adam all the way forward will receive an imperishable body going forward into eternity. And the question is, and it's a very serious question, is where will that imperishable body be? Because those who are with Christ, that imperishable body can no longer sin and rebel against God. There will no longer be any pain. There will no longer be suffering, no more tears, no more sorrow. Uh, Again, that's all found for us in Revelation 21 and following. But for those who are apart from Christ, they will receive a body that cannot die, but it can very much feel pain, and they will be cast into the lake of fire to receive eternal torment. And that's really something to take pause of and consider. So time is a very limited, non-renewable commodity. And regardless of what people say, I want to implore you to align your thinking and your theology with the scriptures and not with what scientists and God-haters are saying that they don't need God and they can find a way technologically to circumvent this because it's never happened in the history of humanity, and I can say on the authority of God's Word, it never will. Uh, And if we get close to that and it's something, you know, happening, then God can come down just like he did in Genesis chapter 9, I think it is, And he can confuse the people and throw them out and uh, just like he did at Babel when they all gathered together under Nimrod and refused to go out and fill the earth and multiply it and fill it and subdue it. They were in complete rebellion to God. And so he went in and confused their languages and scattered them about. They had no choice, which is why we have all the languages of the world that we have today. So we've seen that we ought to treat our time like currency, literally buying it up or to rescue it from loss. But secondly, if we're going to live a controlled life and we, under, we know that it involves understanding and time management, we see this, that we must have a proper theology of time. We have to have a way of looking at time that is biblical, right? Don't shy away from the word theology. Uh, ology is the study of, to use just very rude you know, terminology here, uh, rudimentary uh, terminology, really comes from the word logos, which is the word for. And so, but when we, in English, when we have this suffix on the end of a word, ology, it usually is the study of something biology, philology, uh, zoology, and so forth. These are studies of, right? So all theology is, is a study of God and the way that we know of God is to read his word. And so what I'm saying here is when we, when it says that we have to have a proper theology of time, we get this from this last part of this phrase, because the days are evil. That is a theological pronouncement. I, I hope you see that. That's a moral judgment, and it's a right judgment. It comes from God through the Holy Spirit in the process of inspiration by the quill of Paul or his amanuensis, whoever happens to be actually writing down this letter to the church at Ephesus. But this comes from God, and he says that we ought to buy up the time, rescue it, right, because the days are evil. That involves theology. So the reason that I make the choice to make the most use of my time isn't because it's a prudent and wise thing to do, although it is. It's because I have a theological reason 
to make the most use of my time and buy it back. And what is that reason? Because God says the days are evil. So why do we buy up our time and make solid calculations as to what will be allotted to us each and every day? Why do we keep Psalm 90 verse 10 in our minds as believers? What does that say? It says this, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of a strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Psalm 90, verse 10, there is your reference there. That's where God has kind of capped life as an average. I know that there are exceptions to that, but still all these years later, the rolling average of the, uh, you know, adult human male and adult human female lands squarely right in those averages between 70 and 80 years old. That's when people die. And uh, of course, you know, we've mentioned the exceptions. So we, we have to understand that. We uh, make the most use of that time. We calculate because we have a proper understanding of time as it fits into the theology of creation. You and I live in a fallen and cursed world. We were created in the image of God. Yes, that's very true. And that is a glorious thing. But before the fall, we must remember that we were never intended to die. This is where theology comes into play, and it's really important to have this discussion. We were never intended to die prior to the fall of man. Have you ever pondered the thought that life seems fleeting? Are, are you one of these people? I'm, I'm sure everybody listening has had this moment at some point in their life. They're like, wow, what just happened to the last year? I, I can't believe it. It just flew by. What happened in the last five years? I mean, I remember this, you know, I, the first time it happened to me, it was when I was going into high school, you know, freshman in high school. I'm like, oh, you know, my senior year is so far away. That's never going to come. And of course, as kids, it's it's like time goes so slowly as children, you know, summer vacation lasts forever and so forth and whatever. Right. And then all of a sudden, I remember thinking as I'm sitting there graduating, we're having a senior party. And I, I had the thought for the first time, I was like, what just happened? You know, I know a lot of stuff happened in the last four years, but all of a sudden it was gone. It was in the past. And then I went from there into the army and I had to enlist for an initial four years of active duty. And I thought, boy, you know, I, I remember had, I had that thought that four years seems like so long, but then all of a sudden I thought, well, wait a second, if these last four years are anything like the next, then they're going to fly by. And sure enough, I mean, there was slow periods during the army and, uh, you know, basic training and all of those things. It was very, you know, there, there were different times in there that were slower or whatever. But all of a sudden, I'm at the end of my four-year enlistment and I'm getting ready to get out and move away from uh, that duty station to Wisconsin where I was going to go to college. And I was like, what just happened to the last four years? And then I started to think, and I caught myself as I started college for four years. I was like, oh boy, this is going to go by fast. And sure enough, it did. And then I was, I was in Minneapolis for eight years, six years working on uh, grad school and seminary. And that, as slow as it was and all the things that happened there, it still flew by. And all of a sudden, eight years there. And what happens to time? I'm sure each one of you could share a story like that. And I've heard from people who are now in their twilight years that are in their seventies, eighties. I've talked to people in their nineties and they all say the same thing. It just went by just like that. They have no idea where, where did time go? All of a sudden I woke up and I'm 87. What just happened? Okay. 
And so this is where it's so important that our theology comes in and informs us so that we have a right way of viewing our life and how it does seem to go by fast and it is fleeting. There's a biblical reason for that. If you did not have the capability of existential thought, or to put it scripturally, if God had not put eternity into our hearts, Ecclesiastes 3.11, then you wouldn't give these things much thought. But we all get to the end of certain phases of our life and we look back with astonishment how quickly they've passed. And how often do the scriptures address this idea? Well, they do a lot. Psalm 103, verses 14 and 16. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. Isaiah 40, verses 7 and 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So what is meant then by this statement that the days are evil? Obviously, shortness of span has something to do with it. But this is an odd way of describing something that should be amoral or neutral in nature like time, isn't it? We, we tend to think of time as neutral. It has no moral value. Here's the answer, I think. God is speaking to believers through the Apostle Paul and telling them that there is a moral component to living in what the Bible calls the end of days or the last days. This church age really does encompass what are called the last days. It's a long day to be sure and just go to Second Peter to recognize how, how God doesn't reckon timing the way we do. A day with the Lord is, is a thousand years, a thousand years is, is a day. But we are in these last days. So then uh, what do we say? The days in which we live are characterized by evil. That's what he means. We live in a fallen and sin-cursed world. We live in a day and age when mankind trusts in his own heart, not realizing that his heart is desperately sick and deceitful above all things. Men shake their fists at God every day. They would rather worship anything or anyone but him. Men today call evil good and good evil. And, and the fact of the matter is, the days that we live in are truly evil. Once you stop and start to think through it, it makes absolute sense and it fits. We have an entire political party that believes murdering babies is not only acceptable, but they actually advocate for more of it. The corrupt heart and mind of man is bad enough and then add to it Satan and his demons prowling about as a roaring lion, seeking someone whom he may devour. Until Satan is defeated and sin is done away with once and for all, then the days in which we live will continue to be evil. And God wants us to remember that. So we have to make the most use of it. We have to buy it back. We have to redeem it. We have to rescue the time that he has given to us each and every moment. And we have to have a theological underpinning as to why we're going to make the most use of our time, because the time in which we live is very, very evil. And God has placed us here to be light in the world, to proclaim the good news, to proclaim the gospel, to grow in Christ and to see others grow in Christ. That is an encouraging thing to me. I think that we do have to take this to heart. Living a controlled life involves understanding and time management. And so we'll leave off uh, our discussion there with that. 
and we only covered one verse, but we'll come back and we'll get the next several verses then as, as we consider our next point in our next episode. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.